0: Hey, welcome to Bridge Online. I appreciate I so appreciate the opportunity to be here. I've spoken at the Bridge Fellowship a handful of times and I always enjoy being here. So, when uh, a few months ago, Joel reached out to me and said, "Hey Matt, would you be a part of our parenting series?" I thought, uh, "Absolutely." Over the years, I've given several messages in several different uh, venues, churches, and so forth about parenting. I've had the unique uh, opportunity not only to be a parent, But over the years, I've worked in uh, both church life. I worked in psych hospitals for 10 years, where I worked a ton with parents whose kids were suffering a great deal of crisis and mental health issues and whatnot. So I've really, this is a topic that's really close to me. And I also noticed that all the other speakers in this parenting series are young guys. So it's like they must have needed grandpa to come in. I think they're sitting around a table and they go, let's get some old guy to come. So here I am. I'm the token old guy, grandpa. But nonetheless, I'm really glad to be with you guys this morning. But I'm reminded, let me start off, I'm reminded of a story. I don't know that it's a true story. I doubt it, but it could be of a young preacher, he had just married, and he went off to seminary. And while he was in seminary, he was in his first church. And at this first church, a little church up in uh, East Texas, the people said to him, Pastor, could you preach a sermon on parenting? We need some help with parenting. He said, you bet I could. So he went to his office, and he worked on this sermon, and he fashioned it. And when he came out, he delivered this sermon the following Sunday called The Ten Commandments of Parenting. Fast forward about four years, and he's got three kids of his own. They're small. He's at a new church, and they say to him at the church, they say, Pastor, could you preach a sermon to us on parenting? Because we need a lot of help with parenting. So he goes, "Uh, okay. So he went and 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 dug out that old sermon. He looked at it, and he goes, "Eh, Ten Commandments. I don't know about that. Anyway, he reworked it. He, He retooled it, and he came out, and it was called Seven Guidelines for Raising Kids. Well, fast forward four years and he's at a new church and some people came to him that he'd been avoiding. And he said, they said, hey, pastor, can you talk to us about parenting? Because we really need a lot of help with parenting. He goes, okay, kind of if I must. And by the time he showed up on Sunday morning, it was called three helpful hints for getting through it. And then about five years later, he had this thought, oh, I ought to put together a sermon on parenting. But he was selling real estate, so it really didn't make any difference. So I'm that guy. I have been through the times of being in my early 20s, having a couple babies, and thinking I knew everything there is to know about parenting. And all I need is a place to tell people what they need to be doing. Well, now fast forward, my kids are old and emancipated and have kids of their own. I'm a grandpa, and I have a lot more humility about this topic. Having said that, though, I feel like we've learned a thing or two along the way. We learned a bunch of things that we didn't do effectively and a few things we think we did do effectively. And hopefully you can come away from this talk with some takeaways that will be helpful for you. Uh, Let's begin with some wisdom from Proverbs. It says this, 623, for these commands are a lamp. This teaching is a light and the corrections of discipline are the weight of life. Here's what we believe. My wife and I, and this is what we as a teaching team, even here at The Bridge, believe. Effective outcomes in parenting are most often the result of intentional parenting strategies that build, and this is key, that build a trusting relationship with our children. And this is, I came up with this next part all by myself. And that is simply... It sure helps if our kids don't make too many stupid choices of their own doing along the way. So, here's the thing. We're trying to build a relationship, a trusting relationship with our kids. And that doesn't negate the fact they have free will. But building a trusting relationship is an effective strategy for parenting. Trust is a byproduct of safety. As a professional counselor, if there's one theme, if you were to ask me, Matt, what is the thing you talk about with all people most of the time? It's that word. It's safety. Feeling safe, not feeling safe. When I first felt unsafe as a child or when in my teenage years I went from feeling safe to unsafe and even as adults. Safety is a major theme that runs in all of our lives all the time. Listen to what Scripture has to say about safety. And this is what I would say we are faced with creating in the lives of our children. First of all, listen to emotional safety. Psalm 1017 says this, You, Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry. We want, as parents, our kids to feel safe, to feel fear. We want them to feel like they're in a safe place to feel fear. You saw in that scripture verse, the writer saying, God, with you, I'm afraid, not because of you, but I'm afraid and it's safe to talk to the Father about their fear. Not only safe to feel fear, but also safe to feel anger. Listen to this, Psalm 13:1 and 2. How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? This writer is expressing the fact or demonstrating the fact that it's safe to talk to our Heavenly Father about the ways we're mad and angry about the world around us, but even about the ways we're angry with Him. He can handle it. As parents, it's compelling that we create an environment our kids feel safe to feel fear, safe to feel anger. And I would go on to say, safe to feel sadness, grief, and loss. Listen to Psalm 6, 6-9. through 9. I am worn out from my groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. Away from me, all you who do evil. For the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. So you get this sense that writers, when they're talking to the Heavenly Father, feel safe they, they, they believe it is a safe relationship for them to both feel and express those feelings. As parents, we need to be cognizant of doing the same thing with our kids. Because remember, we're trying to build a trusting relationship. So it's not only emotional safety. I would go on to say it's also intellectual safety. Here's a question. Is it okay to think critical thoughts in your family? Is it okay to disagree? Is it okay to have a mind of your own? I'll never forget, we were snow skiing once. My oldest daughter was uh, mid-twenties, and in the middle of us having dinner one night, the whole family, she says, I just need to say this. (laughs) We looked at her like, what? She goes, I don't like the cold. I don't like snow skiing. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, that's great. That's one less $100 lift ticket I have to buy. But for her, it was like, I'm not sure if it's safe to say in this family that I don't like something, that I disagree with spending our vacation going snow skiing. So she tested the waters and nobody ridiculed her. And I even affirmed it because I'm now saving money because she no longer likes to snow ski. Part of adolescent development is the mind beginning to question what it holds is true. And there, there are there is teaching around developmental psychology that would say teenagers will take an, will take a contrary opinion if for no other reason than to begin to test their critical thinking skills. Is it safe in your family for them to do so? Because if it's not, they won't practice that till they leave home. And college is not a great place to start doing that. It's a great place to continue doing that after you started it in the home with a bunch of people who love you a whole, whole lot. Our children need conflict resolution skills when they leave our home. And if we don't teach them, then spouses, landlords, deans, employers will have to teach them and they won't do it with near as much love as our kids will experience learning those conflict resolution skills at home. Romans 14 says, Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. Much of what we fight about in family are just simply disputable matters. It's got to be a safe place for your kids to learn they can disagree and you're okay with having a debate, having dialogue, having conversation about disputable matters. And the last kind of safety is probably the safety you were thinking of in the beginning, and that's simply physical safety. So we got emotional safety, intellectual safety, and physical safety. But I'm not talking about seatbelts and don't play in the street kind of physical safety. As a parent, does your behavior ever cause your child to feel anxiety? Think about that. That would be something interesting for those of you online to chat about uh, in the chat room. Do you ever, or maybe reflect upon the things your parents did that created anxiety in you in your formative years? Because that stuff still shows up in our adult life. I can tell you because I've been living the last decade or more behind the confidential doors of a counseling office that screaming is epidemic in Fort Bend County, Texas. Screaming is epidemic in Fort Bend County, Texas. Do you self-correct your temper? Are you calm and composed? Do you provide assurance? Do you worry and fight about money in front of the kids? All of that causes them to feel unsafe. Carrie Newhoff in his book, Parenting Beyond Your Capacity said this, during the formative and teenage years, It is actually more essential for the parents to earn trust with the child than it is for the child to earn trust with the parents. I think we've got it backwards. Most of what we as parents talk about is they're going to have to earn my trust before I start giving them the keys. And I'm here to say long before we're talking about car keys, the burden of responsibility is on us as parents to earn their trust not them earning our trust. In 1988, I asked my daughters, who were six and four at the time. We had a one-year-old, but I didn't ask her this. I said, do you know that I love you? Uh, what, do, you do you feel uh, safe and secure in our home? Do you know that I love you? And they, six-year-old, four-year-old both said, yeah. And I said, how do you know I love you? And uh, the six-year-old was learning to write, so I literally have her note here. And uh, this is what the six-year-old says uh, when asked the question, uh, how do you know I love you? She said, because you get me a nice birthday present. You get me my dinner and get me a drink. You send notes when you're away. You let me go on a walk. You got me pupcake, two fish, and a crab, which are all with Jesus now. Thank goodness. Uh, he helps me get well. He buys me stiff. He gets me foob. And because I can see the special love you give me, and you kiss me, and you hug me. Do you hear a six-year-old's version of safety and peace coming through there? Safety and peace. Uh, the four-year-old said this. And I said, "How do how do you know Daddy loves you?" And she says, "You have a great big heart. You help me, you help me clean my room. You buy curtains for mommy. You take me to the tire swing, and you take good pictures, which I have no idea what that's about." Uh, since I was on a roll, I asked my wife, "Do you know I love you? And how do you know I love you?" And my wife, at that time, this is 1988, she says. You help me clean my room, you buy curtains for me, and you take the kids to the tire swing without me. So uh, safety shows up really big in our wives' our wives' view as well. So fast forward to 2012. So about 10 years ago, I asked my adult daughters who are now married, the oldest one I think had three kids by now, the other two... Uh, um, I'm not sure they had any kids or not. Uh, they may have. So I asked the oldest one and she sa- I said, what were the things we did well that making you guys feel safe and loved and so forth? And because I'm fully aware of the things I didn't do well. So uh, I don't want to take up time, your time talking about my failures. But I go, what did we do well? Because we're not even that cognizant of it. And the oldest one said this, When you were with us kids and the other parent was not with us, you always built each other up to us. Like mom would always talk about dad and everything she loved about him, and dad would do the same. uh, And he always said how beautiful she was. I always felt like you put each other as number one, not us kids. We were second. I think that's awesome. And she said, This is a big one for me. You You let us see you fight but I think that was great that you did that and did not go, go, always go somewhere private. Why? Because I saw you fight and then I watched you make up. I can assure you she did not watch us make up. Anyway, because of that, I am not afraid of fighting with my husband, which I'm sure he really appreciates. <laughs> I also know there is a right way and a wrong way to do it, and I know how important and essential forgiveness is. You loved us so much for who we were and not uh, what we did and how we performed. Mom, this is based mainly you since you were a stay-at-home parent at the time. You were so purposeful in your parenting and so thoughtful. You took your job very seriously. And then she said, you took so much time to make each of us feel feel special individually, not just as us three girls. You let us be different from each other, and in fact, you celebrated it. The middle daughter, who was 27 at this time, she said, I was never afraid of y'all getting divorced, even when my friends were splitting up, my friends' parents were splitting up. We were never allowed to compare ourselves to one another, or anyone else for that matter. You always encouraged individuality and God's special different plan for each of us. I saw you and mom have a personal relationship with Jesus, but you weren't legalistic and never forced us to go to church or to perform because we were pastor's kids. You allowed our relationship with God to be our own. I always felt loved after discipline, Not talking or sweeping things under the rug were not options. We always had to restore the relationship. You taught us how to process feelings verbally and resolve conflict at a young age. There was never pressure to perform and never performance-based love. And then the youngest one, who was 23 at this time, she said... Here's a few things I thought of. Conflict resolution. I had realistic expectations of what marriage looked like. I knew it was healthy to fight and saw how conflict was resolved in a healthy, respectful manner. You'd think we fought a lot because all three (laughs) of them have mentioned our fighting. Uh, There were words of affirmation. I felt so secure in our house. You told me I will never divorce or leave your mom. I love your mom so much. So no matter how many of my friends were going through chaos, I felt safe and secure in our family. Uh, You taught us to see not what people do to you, but why they do it to you. And love was not performance-based. So safety is a big deal. We were not even aware that they were paying attention to stuff like that. But Julie and I began to reflect on... What was going on with us that showed up in them uh, coming up with these kind of outcomes or these kind of descriptions? What were we saying that uh, needed to happen as parents in us in order to have effective or positive or just healthy outcomes? And as succinct and concise as I know how to articulate it, it is this. We as parents must raise our children consistent with how he or she will have to behave to be successful in the real world outside of our home. Uh, Some of you, I think, have heard this story because I know I've told it in different arenas. But when I was in college, I had a professor who had four teenagers. And he was telling us in class one day, he said uh, that my wife and I gave all of our teenagers when they were seniors in high school the responsibilities and the freedoms they were going to have as freshmen in college. So we looked at what it takes, what are, the, what's, what are they going to be called upon to do as freshmen in college, and whatever the answer to that was, we required them to be that responsible and we allowed them to have that much freedom when they were seniors in high school. And they had four teenagers, and he said three of them flourished with that plan, and one of them went uh, crazy their, his senior year. So much so that he, the mom and dad realized uh, he is not mature enough to go away to school for crying out loud he can't even show up at school on time. So he said it was an incredible success, not because my son failed, but because I didn't spend $25,000 on him as a freshman in college. Because he wouldn't mature enough to go be a freshman in college. So when they were seniors in high school, well, when they're freshmen in college, they got to wash their own clothes. They have to decide, am I going to wear clean clothes? Am I going to wear pressed clothes? If I am, then I've got to wash them or press them myself. So we quit washing their clothes when they're seniors in high school. I know a lot of you already don't wash your kids' clothes. But I'm just saying it's not that you don't do a task. It's that you don't even take on the burden of responsibility for whether or not they have clean clothes. And maybe whether or not they even have new clothes that they need. And they haven't replaced the ones that are worn out. Although it's trendy again to wear very worn out looking clothes. So uh, they also didn't wake them up to go to church. When they were seniors in high school because they know when they get to be freshmen in college they're not going to call them and go hey sunny boy it's 8 30 don't you need to be getting out of bed and going to church uh that ain't happening so what they're talking about though there is the principle of back planning is to look into the future and go, what skills will he or she need when they get to this point? And whatever the answer to that is, I better train them to do that before they get there, not when they get there. I remember the day when my wife had this realization as a kindergarten teacher that it's not my job to teach these six-year-olds everything they need to know. When she came to realize it's my job to prepare them to be successful first graders. Do kindergartners, is there a lot of stuff they need to know? Yes, they don't know very much. But all her job is, is to prepare them to be successful first graders. And as parents, That's really our role is to prepare our kids to be effective or successful at the next thing they're going to. So if it's the fifth grade or the third grade or kindergarten or college or a wedding or marriage, my job as a, as a parent is to take that which I've learned, need to learn, hope to learn, and convey it to my child so they can take advantage and hopefully stand on my shoulders and go farther, do more, have greater understanding than even I had when I was their age uh, so as to help them be effective, not perfect, but be effective at the next thing they're going to do. Prepare them for that. Well, here are six conflict concepts. Julie and I brainstorm. We go, well, what are the things, what were the day-to-day things that we were doing throughout their childhood, even to right up until when they left for college, and some of them after they left for college, that were six principles or concepts that were kind of the fundamentals of it? And there are these six things. And some of you are here today tuning in to this online message <laughs> for no other reason than to hear the next six things I'm about to say. Uh, I can't say I came up with them myself. Uh, Someone who was wiser and smarter than us taught, taught us these things back in the day, but here they are. Number one, if you're rude to the suppliers, don't expect new supplies. If you're rude to the suppliers, don't expect new supplies. Number two, if you don't do your part in the family, then don't expect family privileges. Do you hear consistency? Do you hear boundaries? Do you hear this is consistent with the way life will be when you leave our home? If you don't do your part in the family, then you don't get family privileges. Number three, this is genius. Mess it up, clean it up. Mess it up, clean it up. Number four, abuse it, lose it. Number five, this is genius. Waste it, replace it. And number six, want more pay the extra somewhere along the way and i learned it from somebody uh, he said quit telling your kids what they can't have tell them they can have anything they want just earn the money it takes to get it and go buy it for crying out loud we live in america it's a land of opportunity you want a ferrari you can have a ferrari just make the money and go buy yourself one It's available to you, to anybody who comes up with the cash, to get yourself one. You can have whatever you want. You want more, pay the extra. We will meet your needs. But if you want more and above, beyond that, well, then you pay the extra. We reflect back in those kind of ongoing principles. The harder thing was us being firm and having resolve at carrying these out. But us being firm and having resolve at living this way created the safety, and created a relationship to where we didn't have a lot of uh, disputes in our home simply because they knew, if I waste it, I'm going to have to replace it. If I mess it up, I'm going to have to clean it up. So those kind of principles go a long way. But if those are kind of the blocking and tackling the fundamentals, here are three strategies that I want you to leave with. These are ways of relating to your kids that I think are super effective at building a trusting relationship. And the first one is this. It's called eye contact. What do I mean by eye contact? What I mean is you look into your child's eyes so closely that you see the color of their eyes and you close your mouth and listen. Proverbs one five says, "Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance." As we move on, Proverbs eighteen thirteen says, "He who answers before listening, that is his folly and his shame." Years ago, I think it was nineteen ninety four. I know it was nineteen ninety four. Uh, we were at our home and we got a phone call. Uh, Julie's father had been feeling poorly, and he was getting some tests done, and uh, we were very concerned. Everyone was very concerned. And we got the phone call that said the tests are back. Her dad did, in fact, have cancer. And that was very uh, anxiety-provoking, and it was was a horrible diagnosis, as all of you know. And she told me, uh, I got home, and I said, have you heard anything? She goes, yeah, he has cancer. And she began to talk a little bit about it. And immediately I kicked into my uh, kind of educated professional mode. And I said, Well, let me tell you, grief is gonna be, and I started talking about grief. And I could tell by the look on her face, and I heard this still small voice in my heart really. It was God speaking to me, and He was saying, Matt, shut up. He didn't tell me that a lot because it's, it's kind of a harsh thing to say. But I got a real clear sense that the Holy Spirit was saying, Matt, shut up. When I was a new therapist, uh, a rookie therapist... I thought my job as a therapist was to tell people who came in seeking supportive counseling care, I thought my job was to uh, tell them everything I know so they would make application and go off and have a better life. Well, that took about an hour and a half to tell them everything I knew. So after that, I didn't know what the heck to do. And people quit coming to see me because that wasn't that incredibly helpful. And I had a professor who said, uh, if you're going to spend 60 minutes with somebody, you need to spend two out of every three of those minutes listening and not talking at a minimum. And the principle is simply this. Our kids have a greater need to be heard than their need to be taught. Our wives have a greater need to be heard than their need to be taught. That's not diminishing their need to be taught. Your kids, my kids, they all have a high need for learning stuff that is important to apply in their life. But their greater need is to be heard, not a need to be taught. Have you ever been praying and God interrupted you? The answer is no, because He doesn't interrupt us. He's incredibly effective at listening. To be more godly is to be a better listener. For some of you, That's why you're here today to hear that. The second thing uh, in terms of uh, strategies to build a trusting relationship is called meaningful touch. Romans 16, 16 says this, greet one another with a holy kiss. We all have a tremendous need for loving affection that's holy, pure, safe, and unselfish. Chuck Swindoll says we all need three hugs a day. And this verse reveals the fact that there's a difference between holy and unholy affection. Um, I have a therapist friend who said, this was 20 years ago now, he said, uh, Dads, if you're not hugging your daughters, somebody is. If you're not hugging your daughters, somebody is. I knew a nine-year-old girl once who stood in front of the mirror and... She looked in the mirror, and her mom was next to her, and she said to her mom, do you think daddy thinks I'm pretty? And the mom says, "Uh, your daddy thinks you are beautiful. You are adorable. The fascinating thing about her saying that was her daddy died when she was two. She was still longing to know that her father thought she was pretty. One of the deepest questions in a man's heart is, do I have what it takes? And one of the deepest questions in a woman's heart is, am I lovely? So as a parent, it's really, really important that we communicate a lot. You have what it takes, and yes, you are lovely. One of the ways we do that is through meaningful touch or affection. The third thing I would say is focused attention. Proverbs 19.22 says this, what a person desires is unfailing love focused attention is time set aside without distraction where we practice one and two in order to provide focused attention as a parent we'll likely have to sacrifice one if not all three of these things and the first one is time you'll have to sacrifice time when my kids were little we would go on dates we call it dates with dad As they got older, uh, we still did dates, but the activity changed. So you'll you'll have to sacrifice time. You'll also have to sacrifice energy. Every morning we wake up with a limited supply of energy, and the moment we wake up, we start making decisions as to who and what gets that energy or that investment of energy. And if you come home at the end of the day having given already given it all away and you have no energy left to give focused attention, especially the discipline of listening or meaningful touch, then your kids are going to go without. And you'll think that the problem is because they're not trustworthy and the problem is because we have failed to build a trusting relationship. So don't overthink this. Sacrifice uh, in, in a way that you've got energy left over for, for your family when you get, get, get with them or they come home from school or you come home from work. It's key. And the last thing you may be forced to sacrifice is money. Probably not money that you've earned, but money that you haven't earned yet. You may have to sacrifice making one less sales call, putting out one less fire, solving one less problem, or working one less hour of overtime to provide focused attention. I want you to see a picture uh, here. Uh, This is a picture of our family doing a thing that we call sweet mama and Papa Bo camp. Uh, Now as, as grandparents, we've had to change the way we're trying to communicate all the things I've been talking to you all about today. And every summer we do Sweet Mom and Papa Bo Camp. And that's when all the grandkids come to our house and the parents stay away. We don't want them away because it's going to be a sugar fest and the parents get all wrapped up in arms over that. I mean, Bluebell for breakfast, how bad is that? So we do Sweet Mom and Papa Bo Camp. And it's during that time that we try to express, we, we try to flood them with uh, meaningful touch and focused attention and we listen to them a lot. We ask them lots of open-ended questions and they talk ad nauseum about things that are important to them, not necessarily things that are important to us. And we try to to fill their well with these kind of things. The other thing we do is a special trip with all of our grandkids. Uh, we've The oldest we took to St. Louis and went hunting and went to museums, went and saw Hamilton and went and saw Willie Nelson because he likes hunting, history, and country music. And uh, the third one, which is we're planning the trip for her right now, is she wants to go see Taylor Swift somewhere in concert. I'm trying to talk her into Pink Floyd, but she's really staying strong with Taylor Swift. So ask me this time next year, how that turned out. But it's during that time that we hope to create so much relational equity with these kids. Matter of fact, it's not just the grands, it's 16 people, three daughters, three son-in-laws, and 10 grands, that someday when they're older and they ask that question that I just read about, where will I find unfailing love? Hopefully, we will have shown them where we found it by having a relationship in God through Jesus Christ. So remember this principle, y'all. God was a perfect parent. He created perfect kids, put them in a perfect environment, and they still rebelled. Your kids, like my kids, like all of us, need a Savior. We need redemption. We need forgiveness. We need transformation. You will do your best at providing a trusting relationship with these kids, but their deepest needs is not a perfect parent. Their deepest need is met by having a relationship with their Heavenly Father through their faith in Jesus Christ. And that's our greatest burden of responsibility is transferring that. So I hope you have a great day and a great week. And again, thanks for tuning in here at The Bridge Online.